I'm Mike Eagle, also known as Open Mike Eagle, and this is Secret Skin, also known as the Secret Radio Hour. And this is one of our first forays into this fledgling format, Peep My Alliteration by Accident. Hope you dig that. Hope you dig the show. Share your thoughts online at infiniteguest.org. Hey, all. All. All means you. You. You listening right now. My name is Open Mike Eagle. This is a secret radio hour. It's just between me and you. This is a one-on-one thing here. I'm going to uh, expose, expose, expose the business to you. What business, you ask? I'm a rapper. I'm guessing you're probably not one. You might be, but you're probably not. So I'm going to tell you some things about this here business I'm involved in. Specifically, this episode, we're going to talk about touring. What is a tour, you might ask? Simple. A tour is just more than one show. I've seen people call uh, as few as three shows a tour. I'm sure there's some people who've called two shows a tour. Uh, I used to be part of a rap group that used to do this thing called Weekend World Tours. And all that meant is that we did too many shows uh, in Los Angeles over the course of one weekend. And we called that a tour. We would just do like this one coffee shop show, this one venue show, and we'd do like a show at a record store and say, hey, look at our neato flyer with our three shows on it in one weekend, hence Weekend World Tour. A normal tour is about like two or three weeks of traveling uh, between states or countries, typically doing one night per city, so one, you know, one show per night. And given this design, you end up doing a lot more traveling than just about anything else on tour. Um, and given how many things can go wrong, daily interstate travel and tight time windows I've never been on a tour that didn't encounter some form of disaster and while a disaster can certainly ruin a day they're super important because they make way for what tour is really about tour stories all us traveling artists I'm sure the same boats for comedians people to play other kinds of music uh, any sort of traveling showcase what you all tend to take away from it especially if you're traveling in any sort of group are the experiences that come from um, bonding in a small vehicle or a large one but just being a connected group and dealing with the adventures of day-to-day traveling from show to show the most recent tour I went on was with Milo and No Can Do and Bus Driver. They're rappers who I associate with in a collective called Hellfire Club. And so this tour was called the Hellfire Club Tour. It's actually called Dorner vs. Tukey Tour, named after a mixtape that we released um, in 2013. 
On this episode, I'm playing an interview I did with No Can Do shortly after the tour was over, and I asked him a few questions about it, and he was able to give his perspective on some of the things that uh, took place while we were on the road. It was in talking to him that I started to remember how important tour stories are in terms of what's taken away from these endeavors. I mean, you can make money. You don't always make money. You can have good shows. Sometimes you have bad shows. But what's always of value is the uh, the adventuring and the camaraderie that's built with this with this group of people that you're traveling with. Uh, one really funny story that I wanted to share with you guys, Radio Land audience, at your computer, in your car, wherever you're listening, is uh, this one story that happened on the uh, Dorna versus Tuki tour. We uh, at some point had to cross over into Canada to play a show in Toronto. And um, crossing the border is typically challenging for touring musicians, especially on our level. I imagine that um, artists that are um, that have a little bit of a higher platform, all of their paperwork is taken care of by their booking agency. So they present something at the border that tells the border agents that um, this endeavor is completely legal Everybody's making the money they're supposed to be making. People are are paid whatever taxes or tariffs are supposed to take place to allow um, this thing to travel over this arbitrary border and uh, perform and come back and everything's smooth. But what we tend to do is um, we can get some paperwork. Like in this situation, we had some paperwork that said we were doing a show, but we didn't get the complete paperwork that said that we were making money because then we would have had to have shared probably too much of it. So... Guys, I don't know if I should even be telling this. But anyway, it gets complicated crossing the border. And so we already had, I think, what was a six-hour drive coming from the city before, which I believe was Cincinnati, to go into Toronto. And um, since dealing with the border can take as, as, as little as 15 minutes or as many as a couple hours, we have to leave extra early. So it takes us about two or three hours to get to the border. When we get right up to the border, there's this really, really, really long bridge with just uh two lanes of traffic that we have to cross bridge is like is in my memory it's like half a mile uh, i don't know if that's over or under exaggerating but it seemed like a really long time and especially because it's you know you're in one line behind the cars waiting to go across the bridge and into the the uh, gates where you talk to the official people we go across this long bridge and we're waiting in line things are a little tense because like i said we never know how this is gonna go they could just say, oh, okay, this looks good, let us go. Or they could stop us. We are, you know, we're brown people in a van with a story that doesn't all the way hold up. So, you know, if they get super suspicious, then, you know, we have to, you know, clear everything out. And the van has to be um, inspected and, you know, all of that stuff has to happen. So we're tense. We get to the uh, window, present the paperwork that we do have answer a few questions things are going kind of okay we get told to go not in the straight through line but in the line where there's some form of inspection and we have to go in and talk to the people at the office which is fine typically that happens and there's nothing in the van that we're necessarily afraid of of uh being found out having if that makes any grammatical sense so we do that we pull over to the place where the people inspect the things and um we go inside and start talking to the people in the office and uh since 9-11 i would say uh, things have been pretty tense across the border. Not that I went and did a whole bunch of border crossings before. I remember as a child going over to Windsor, Canada, which is right across the border from Detroit, and that being pretty easy. Now, 
everybody who works at the border is in like full SWAT team gear. Like they're just ready for gunfire to break out or some um, some bomb carrying person to come through there and need to be tackled at any moment. So even like the clerical people, the people who are inside the office that we have to go talk to, which is mostly little uh, older ladies are in full SWAT team gear. And uh, we have to talk to this lady about what we're going to do in Canada. This lady does something that she thinks is really funny after we tell her that we're rappers she says oh well you guys gotta rap for us then we're not gonna let you cross the border until you guys rap for us and we're looking around kind of uncomfortably like not only you know is it just kind of in general a rude thing to say it's a little racist it's a little you know stereotypical it gets into this uh touchy area we're like oh you just expect us to kind of dance and sing for you that kind of thing and we're kind of looking around at the other employees and they're like yeah y'all gotta rap and we're like oh my god are they serious and we're like no you know we're not gonna really do that and then the original uh, older lady behind the counter in full SWAT team gear decides that she is going to rap and I don't remember exactly what it was that she said but it was like one of those um, I remember there was a Fruity Pebble commercial when I was younger where like Barney was like, uh, my name is Barney and I'm here to say I love Fruity Pebbles in a major way. And it wasn't that she said that specifically, but it was something along those lines. So we're all very embarrassed that this was all taking place. We attempt to bring validity and seriousness to to our craft uh, with the hopes of trying to avoid situations like these. But apparently uh, there's no getting around it. But anyway. That happens. We get through it. She looks up all of our information and asks us a ton of questions. But she's generally a nice lady, if not a little misguided. She lets us through. We go to the van where everything's been inspected and we're told to move along. We're kind of shaking off the tension, shaking off the embarrassment, uh, trying to work our spirits back up to doing the rest of this drive to get to Toronto. We get in the van. We start heading out of the inspection area. And we make the wrong turn leaving the inspection area and head back into the United States. We went out and it was like time froze. We were so freaked out. We had to go all the way back across the two lane long bridge, turn around, come all the way back across the long bridge again, waiting in line and inside the van, we're just freaking out. We're frozen. Like, what, what are we going to do? We just barely made it through the first time with a flimsy story and uh, rap embarrassment. And now it looks like we've done something or are attempting to do something illegal. It just looks funny. Like, why would we possibly have gotten through the border and try to come back through the border at the same place 10 minutes later? So we're all kind of angry at each other at this point. This is just this cold tension while we try to decide what's the best way to do this to where uh, we will look uh, as sane as possible after having made this mistake. We decide we're going to go back to the same guy, the original window that we uh, first came in through. So we figured either he would recognize us and um, and and just just hopefully believe that we made some sort of mistake. Or, you know, we would just go ahead and start the process of craziness and being banned from Canada forever right then. So we drive up to the window after waiting in line. We're sweating. We look and feel very stupid. And he laughs at us. 
and lets us immediately through. Tour stories. Oh, shit. And then on this other tour I was on, I was in a minivan with some more rappers. This is a theme that's going to keep happening in most of these. We're driving on the way to Salt Lake City. I think we're near Provo, Utah. Car starts driving a little bit funny, um, a little shaky. Pull over, and it turns out we've got a pretty substantial leak in one of the tires, and it's flattening pretty rapidly. Um, actually, before we could even really get back on the road, the tire is completely flat. We have an odd situation with this uh, with this tour van, being that it's, it's built for cargo, so the spare tire isn't in the place where we would expect it to be, which all of us expected it to be in the trunk or, or beneath the trunk or something like that, but it's created or designed to give you the most room it can inside, which of course we need because we've got luggage, we've got merchandise, and we've got humans that need places to sit comfortably and not constantly touch elbows. So we did figure out eventually that the spare tire was underneath the van, but it was fixed by some contraption and we had no idea how to deal with it all. We're pulled over, we're rappers, we are not mechanics. Most of us have little more than cursory knowledge of how a car works. I'm sure we looked terrible by the side of the road because we're dressed somewhat fashionably, I think. We didn't have that much time to get to Salt Lake City, so we're basically in our show clothes trying to push it and get to uh, get to the town for the show. So while we're pulled over dealing with this, this man pulls his car over behind us. Uh, he's driving some like kind of mid-90s thing that if you looked at it, it, it it's, it's like it was like a four-door sedan looks pretty worn pretty weathered i would say it looks like it had about 175,000 miles on it and the guy driving and this is important to the story um he is a white man he is a white man who is kind of dusty and dirty looking like he looks like he works for a living he's got tattoos all over his hands I believe he had a couple on his neck too but it was the hands the hands ones that really got me because um tattooed hands are a pretty specific business typically usually it means either you're some type of artist who has no need to ever be employed so you're like making it making a pretty permanent statement that you never have to go to a job interview or you're like you know, um, you're you're maybe in some type of gang situation or some type of jail situation where um, you've had to show some different type of allegiances. Usually hand tattoos are places where you show that type of allegiance. So we're a little nervous uh, that this guy wants to try to help us. And he's being very helpful, uh, if not completely scary as a human when we're in Provo, Utah. And again, we're a collection of brown people. But he is being very helpful, and he's saying helpful things. And uh, he's giving us, trying to give us some assistance on how to get this tire from beneath the car, because we have to jack the car up to do that, and then unscrew something from the inside so that the tire falls. And it's a big ordeal, and we don't really know how to do it at all. He kind of does. So he's helping us, and we start to realize that something on it is fixed too tight. So we need some tools to try to uh, get the spare off of here. He does help us. He actually has tools. He helps us do this. He helps us get the tire from beneath the, the van and affix the new tire of the spare. He also says that he can help us plug the old tire because we're worried that since this is a rental van, it doesn't belong to any of us. If we return it, 
with one weird tire, even though it's the weird tire that came with it, we're worried about incurring extra fees. So he's saying he knows a way to plug the tire with the leak so that we can put it right back on, uh, inflate it, and it'll be good as new because it was a very small hole, apparently. But to do this, we have to follow him to the place where he works so that he can do it for us. And about here is where um, our trust issues kind of came into place. But we were in the middle of an adventure, and so we just said, forget it, and we followed him. And it turns out that where he works is that he owns this factory. And this factory produces all of the blue water that's at the bottom of every porta potty across uh, around the country. And it used to be the stuff in airplanes. And after they shifted away from that, his business kind of took a hit. But apparently this is what he does. And he showed us that with this other piece of rubber from this other old tire, he like made a knot out of it and using like a, a screwdriver, punched it into the hole in the old tire and sealed it. And then... um. He actually even went through all the trouble of putting it back on the van and taking the old one off and putting it back underneath. And we, we pay him. Well, we offer him money that he initially refuses, but we insist because he's being so nice and kind and to stop in his day and do all this stuff. We're also feeling a little guilty inside. We talk about this later that, you know, we really didn't trust this man. We were well prepared to try to beat him up because we thought he was going to do something sinister. We didn't know what. But, uh, you know, we stereotyped him and we felt kind of bad about that, too. We didn't tell him that. But, you know, amongst each other, that's kind of how we felt. And so we're driving away. Lesson learned. And then um, the uh, tire went flat again. Tour story. Oh, shit. So that's a couple of tour stories. There's a bunch. I got at least eight or nine more easy. I'll get into some of those more as our show develops, as our show progresses, I'll get a chance to uh, tell some more awesome, 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 fun adventure rap tour tales. I want to get into this interview with No Can Do, though. No Can Do is one of the best rappers in the world. Probably, I mean, definitely the best freestyler that I've ever really ever known and been around. Uh, and for those that don't know, freestyling is just improv rapping that's happening in the moment without any script or prompting. He also is an incredible music maker. He just released his second album called Jimmy the Burnout on Hellfire Club Records, which he founded. He's been a friend of mine, you know, almost from the day we met. I mean, I moved here to Los Angeles in 2004. I believe he was up on a mountain at that time doing something illegal. But he uh, he was a, a legend. He was a myth uh, with all the local rappers that I begun to hang around at that point and uh they were all just constantly telling me how dope no can do was and when he came down from the mountain it was like some um you know some greek mythology thing it was true i mean he's he's an incredible 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 mc and um one that i can definitely call a friend knowing each other you know going on 10 years now uh, toured together, rapped together, and made all kind of songs together. He does a podcast with Jeff Weiss called Shots Fired, um, where I've been the third chair quite a few times. It's always uh, really good to do that with them. So 
If you like podcasts, and I imagine that you do, you should check that one out. It's one of the premier rap podcasts that there is around. And so uh, this is an interview that I did with him shortly after the tour, and we talked about the tour. We talked about the kind of spirit of competitiveness that goes on with this. Tried to uh, get into maybe things that he didn't get a chance to express in the tour, but what I learned about him, and I knew it, but it was interesting to hear him say it, is that um, he's far more of an expressive person than I am, where I tend to um, keep things a little bit closer to the vest, and that gets into overthinking sometimes. He's uh, more of an in-the-moment, say-what's-on-your-mind kind of person. I think that's what also makes him such an excellent freestyler, is that he he's very used to mining whatever's going on in his, in his mind right that time and expressing it, and uh, expressing it vividly and expressing it fully. This is him and I debriefing a little bit about uh, tour experiences and a couple of tour stories. Quick ones get told in there, too. We did this interview in my car on the way to a Hellfire Club meeting, and uh, I'm going to learn to stop recording interviews in the field without any kind of sound protection, because once again, you hear all sorts of automobile noises, um, and I apologize for that, and I will do better. I have bought microphones. I am going to sit in rooms with mattress padding around them, and I'm going to do my interviews like that from now on. But for this one, you'll have to suffer of a little bit of outside interference. But it's an interesting talk, and I was glad I got a chance to talk to him about his experience with the Dona versus Tuki tour. And here it is, uh, my talk with No Can Do. There's a secret radio hour, and this is it. A lot of homeless people live under these fucking freeway overpasses in their cars. It kills me. First in their heart. cars? Dude, one time, because I, I have to go hide to smoke a cigarette, so I came home from a fucking, you know, bar or wherever the fuck I came home from. I parked under this overpass to smoke a cigarette. Is it? That's a seatbelt thing? Oh, uh, yeah. Let me take my jacket off. But I came over from this fucking overpad. I came over to smoke a cigarette, and there's a dude, like an older Asian guy, and uh, he like hops. He like he's. I guess he's naked in this fucking hatchback. Oh no! Why is he sleeping in his car naked? Why does he have to take his clothes off to go to sleep? <laughs> but this is this is I a fucking going over. straight, right? Hey, you keep going straight, you yeah. make it right over okay. here, La Santa. We'll figure this shit out one day. You fucking no, you good, bro. You knew where to go. But this dude, he like crawls over in his back seat because somebody pulls up behind him and hops out the car. Because a, African, a young African American male pulls up behind so him and hops out the car, oh, smokes what, a cigarette, is, and I'm just staring. I don't see anything happening. Is you know? he black, white? What is he? He's like an Asian guy. Oh, wow. He's a like, naked oh, Asian oh, in the car. <laughs> an older oh, Asian man. Oh. He could have been Guatemalan. Like, you know, like straight. And then make a ride over here. But he fucking, he, uh, you know, he, like, crawls into this, like, trunk space area the hatchback has. He pulls out clothes, and he gets out shirtless and shoeless, but he has on a full, like, cop belt where he has, like, two guns and mace and, like, tasers. And he stands there and looks at me for a minute. He's got two guns and a taser and mace? He's got all, everything that's on a fucking cop's belt. Are you kidding and he's just standing there looking at me. Like, I woke him up and I shined lights on him. And I guess, like, I thought, like, I figured, like, this is why you're homeless. You're not homeless because of fucking, like, you know, uh, like, you don't work. Obviously, you have this fucking big leather belt and these guns and this newer car. 
you know, this might be a divorce, uh-huh. you know, but it also might be a divorce with like somebody trying to kill you in the divorce or some shit. Or I don't, I don't know, but I mean, basically, he's a little mental, just a little mental. Or he might be mental, I guess, but like he had like official gear though, you know, which doesn't mean he can't be mental, but it definitely means that like, yeah, like cop, the cop, government, cop, uh, security guards lose their minds all the time. Yeah, I guess, man. But I almost died that night. That's fucked up. Over a cigarette. Because wouldn't nobody even really been able to understand that shit at all? Like, it would have been it was the weirdest death ever. You know what I mean? Because he would have just bailed. Yeah, he would have And bailed. then wouldn't have anybody have ever understood what it the motivation been a, was. Another somebody. dead nigga. That's but what like, it would have yeah, been. And, and you but been the a, record was dropping. Exactly. It would have been a dead rapper. <laughs> you know what I mean? With no, like, you don't have none of that really even in your story. You know what I mean? None of that, like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? You It'd don't have been Biggie and Pac. It'd have been like, who killed Biggie and Pac? Right. You know? Right. I'd have been the new one. What if a naked Asian man killed both of them? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's why we don't know. Because it don't make no sense. Man, what if what if he killed Biggie? Right. <laughs> you know, like, this makes all the sense it in the world now that we, <laughs> we've got here. Now we're putting it together, man. Like, he was on the fucking run, you know, <laughs> because he killed a man in Vegas. You know, so now he's over here. And then he killed another guy. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, how close were they to overpasses? I don't that's know. A yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. But yo, uh, we've been recording this whole time. I don't know if you do that or not. But I'm here with No Can Do, and we're driving uh, to the studio. The uh, the name of the show is called Secret Skin. Secret Skin. Yeah. My secret skin. <laughs> and My so, secret skin. Okay. Basically, the aim of it is just like. It's talking about like people's internal experience, especially like people who live like a public life. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And so the first that is an excellent premise, man. Thank you, man. The first few episodes are going to be about. The tour. I, I don't know. I don't know where my secret skin and my real skin even. That's I have no make, idea where they started in. It make for a very interesting interview, but yeah. uh, no can do. We, we are no can do. <laughs> I am no can do. I am no can do. No, I am no can do. But um, the first few episodes are focusing on a toy we're just on. I know we're a couple of weeks removed from it now. Mm-hmm. But um, what what would be your immediate thoughts when I ask you how the tour was? Like, what what would you what would you answer? If I just ask you in general what your your reflections are, your immediate reflections are on the tour. Uh, with people that I, to be honest, yeah, people yeah. that I don't care about, I say this is the best tour of my life. I do, I do. It's very something very similar. I yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, but to my friends, uh, I tell them it was like a necessary evil. Mm, what What would you say was evil? I think the necessary part is probably pretty apparent. But what would you say is the evil part? Well, I'm, t- I'm spending five weeks away from my family. Right. From my wife and kids. Right. right. With whom, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm home now. I'm potty training my daughter. Wow. You know what I'm saying? How old is she now? She's two. She's two in two months. Wow. You uh, Do you usually, have you usually done it that early? Nah, I mean, I could see it. I like, you know, like, you can see when they want to get potty trained. I see. I've done this. Three, this is my uh, third right, time. Right. That's what I mean. Like, wow, you kind of got it dialed in. You started two and a half, I, th- I would think. Yeah, well, it's, it's just me. Like with girls, if like they see their mother potty training, like yeah, boy, so it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. girls are like, you know, they're they're quicker with the get down. But uh, so like, dude, there's nothing more than a, 
that I ever wanted to do in my whole life than go around the country and rap. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I did that. That's dope. Uh, then I get to do it in front of people. That's right. dope. Then I get to do it in front of people and make money. Right. That's even better. <laughs> but that's like that's like the boy in me. You know what I'm saying? That's like the, the what the high school me wanted. But what the adult me wants, you know, is to uh, raise well-adjusted children. That's real. Um, I want to eat good ramen once, like, once every two weeks. You know, uh, I really want to, like... Like, luckily, I, I was with you guys, so that... You know, but there was a lot of talking to strangers. Right, right. And there's a lot of, like, not wanting to talk to strangers I can dig it. Yeah, that I of, wanted to do. A lot of, un, unnes- not unnecessary, but, like, forced interaction with uh, with new people. Yeah, man. And, um, so, you know. Well, you know, and like I said, the aim of this is to kind of get at what people's internal experience was. You know, I kept a diary pretty much every day that we were out on the road. And, um... What became kind of really interesting to me is how much of what will go on, um, I would have maybe a different perspective on, or I would have like maybe something, some like a, a personal take on that was different. Maybe I was going through something personally based on something we were doing, but because it's such like a a, a team exercise, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you become really aware of like what's your personal shit that you should, you know, keep to yourself probably and what's, like, shit that we need to address. You know what I mean? As, I have as no idea what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, me! I mean, but, you know... With you. I, I know, because, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, especially with you being in a unique situation and having a record come out, your second album come out while we're on the road. I mean, amongst, you know, just whatever other tour things we go through, um, the question I'm asking everybody is, like, Like, what was something that you went through internally that you maybe didn't get a chance to voice or felt like maybe you shouldn't have, but something that was tour-related? That I didn't get to voice? Yeah, or maybe you felt like you shouldn't voice, um, or maybe just didn't even get around to it, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. Like, uh... said it in my that's, show. That's, you know what? That's that's interesting, too, because uh, I asked Rory the same question, and uh, Rory's thing was he had felt really bad about, uh, like, he had felt, like, super bad about, like, not consistently, like, helping with merch. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that was something that was weighing on him. Oh, no, you know I purposely I mean? didn't do that because I understand that you are better than that at Everybody, and I can't talk. I, I had, uh, I had, I, but here's the thing: I voiced this. I had, uh, what do you call? I, I fucking I had panic attacks talking to strangers <laughs> yeah. for too long. You know? No, I can think it. No, no, no. And, and I was telling him like I didn't even think it was any kind of big deal, like at all. Yeah. But it was interesting that that was like his thing. And I told him in return, I told him my thing. The thing that messed with me a lot was like how the show order would be different some places. Woo. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it would really, it would really get to me. Yeah. But, but why I bring it up now to you is because, like, the time when it bothered me most was in New York. And, like, I felt like that night 
I channeled it all into my stage show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I tried you to. You had a beautiful I, set there. I mean, and I and I felt like it, but I also felt like real icky because I felt like I was I was like. I don't know. I felt like I was just, I was just trying to just make it the hardest. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I could make for anybody to come after me. Like I really tried to like tear tear it down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and see, it, that was what I do all the time. Right. Because I I that I had that fucking battle rapper thing like innately in me. Unless I'm fucking drinking too much and having too much fun, uh-huh. and I'm just like, oh, this song gonna be cool. <laughs> 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 I always wanted to freestyle for 25 minutes. Like, you know, but like, like, I, I, I want to say like, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And what I enjoyed, I don't even, oh, you know what? I, you know, I didn't invoice. I enjoyed, because of this, the, the same like spirit of competition, uh-huh. I enjoyed sometimes when me and you would end up going before or after each other. Right, right, just right. because I feel like me and you were on the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm the raucous and you're the uh, melodic. Right, right, right. You know right. what I'm saying? And so it was like, is this gonna be a melodic like thing, or is it gonna be a ruckus thing? Or like, like, like do you mean like the the, the the spirit of the night? Is it gonna kind of no, be like not that the spirit or like, of the night, but it, it, like, I don't know. Like, oh, I felt man. like if I went on before or after you, it really didn't fucking matter. But like, I feel like you were the person, you know, to compete with because mm-hmm. there's a certain. It's like, a, oh, we gotta slow down. Or, there's like a, a Ken and Ryu thing that I feel. Right, 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 right. That I, I, was, that I feel with you, you know? Yeah, I was And getting, I definitely I feel like that. Ken. I was getting You know? It. And, and, I, and that's the thing is, I don't, I guess I don't know enough about the characters to, to, to differentiate, but I remember we talked about that once. Yeah. Um, because somebody kind of put it in Some, a write up yeah. weirdly or something. They like didn't that. say Ken and Ryu, but they, they, they painted it painted it like that uh, when they were talking about the Donor versus Tukey right. thing, you know? But uh, it's definitely like, like, Ryu is pure-hearted, but he has a little spore of, like, of darkness in him, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, he's probably darker in general. He's probably dark. He's probably, he probably mistakenly killed somebody at some point. Well, this is the thing, is that, that's, like, Ken gets to let out, let it, like, he's a fucking, he gets to let it out, out all the time. Right. So there's no chance of him going dark. Right. And Ryu, later on, the character fucking evil Ryu appears when uh, all the oh. dark shit... It, 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 it becomes too much to bear because he never lets it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, you know, like, if I wasn't married, I'd have positions like Ken. <laughs> if I was, 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 was Ken, was Ken really out there like Ken that? Had, like, that was his thing. And, you know, like, if I was a white dude, I'd have a blonde ponytail. Like, <laughs> I, I feel that way. I'm a black, I got a duck tail. That's enough. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. I didn't express how how much I enjoyed being kept on my toes mm. because I feel like uh, like what me and you do like hella punchline heavy, you know hella like right. It comes from the same. Wait, the we same, all come from that same corner. The same you know place, what I mean? but, I, but I feel like what Rory and Buzz do it's so different that there's no like there's no like the Venn diagrams don't meet. Right. You know what I'm saying? What you mean, just so stylistically. Yeah, yeah, there's not much crossover. That makes a lot of sense. We're like, you know, we're on the same age, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Exactly, that's what I was just about to say That we're both kind of influenced by uh, 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 Not the same things But enough of the same things You know what I mean We have a lot of the the same I mean the outside I think is the key to it You know what I mean Like I think that's the link You know what I mean But I know like your your, uh, listening is probably a little more gangster than mine You know what I mean Well I was like a little more Wu-Tang And you a little bit more E-40 Yeah, 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 very true, very true, yeah which are, I mean, like, that bass shit, like, E-40 and Ghostface are the same dude. Yeah, they are. They are exactly the, the same the old game-spitting person, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're definitely on the same vibe. But see, that's the thing. Even me, like, I wasn't, like, Ghostface wasn't my favorite out the world. Like, like now I can kind of look at it with a kind of even even kill and, and, and just understanding rap the way I do now. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ghostface has been cold forever. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like... Him and Ray, I wasn't really into all that crime talk shit that they was on all the time either. So I was always, uh, oh, Jizza and Deck, like these, like, you know, uh, would-be intellectual kind of dudes. I was always on their shit a little bit more. Yeah. I don't trust the would I don't trust the intellectual. Well, how do you trust me? (laughs) I don't don't look at you as an intellectual, though. I mean, you're intellectual, obviously. We're all in Like, I feel like... I've learned the rule that most rappers are intellectuals. We fucking use our words words to explain the world. You know what I'm saying? So, like, even if you're, like, somebody like, you know, Bismarcky or somebody, I mean, it's like you're trying to, like, communicate to somebody's intellect and you're using this story that you've experienced or this thing to, to, you know, to try to meet halfway with somebody, you know? But, uh, like, you know, I, here's the thing. If someone uses too many words to explain something, I feel too many words that aren't used in everyday speech. I feel that there's a lot of room in there to lie. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Too much flowery language. There's just a lot of embellishment probably happening. Yeah. I can dig that. Well, okay, I got one more question. The same question I asked Roy, so the same question I'm going to ask Reagan, because this has just been something interesting for me to think about. Was there anything that happened on the tour that you found particularly surprising? Like, just something that really happened that was different than what you expected to happen? Um... expectations. I mean, I treat a lot of things like that. And I, and I imagine you do. I imagine you do. Like, you're, you're a type of person that, that, to me, that I like, you're like a freestyler as a spirit. You know what I mean? Like, you, your soul is like that of a freestyler. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you take that, to me, take that same kind of approach. That's a learned thing, though. I, oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Um, because I feel like, I, honestly... Over my life, I'm learning to get there because I've been a person who's overthought things a lot. You know what I mean? And I learned slowly, like, oh, like, a lot of times my instinct is right. A lot of times my first mind is right. Mm-hmm. Just go with that. You know what I mean? But I tend to, like, um, I tend to, you know, think about things a lot. Like, and, and just like, maturing especially. Like, to me, I'm, I'm very, like, information hungry when it comes to, like, where we're going and what we're doing. And it's because, like, like I've you know I've I've toured so much, especially where I was like booking it. Yeah. That like I'm like 
I want to be keenly aware of what factors are in place to make this particular gig a success or a failure. You know what I mean? So I want to know like who we fucking with, mm-hmm. who's opening for us, mm-hmm. what venue is been, it, what time are we I on? I care about all that stuff too. You know, but you know what surprised me the most? Was that? Um, I've been I've been sold silky a few many different ways. Mm. But I mean, I don't. Buy, I haven't bought silky in my life. But this was this. A chick tried to, you know, this a chiropractor, and, you know, but she tried to, like, you know, tell me she'd uh, take me home and give me chiropractic. Wow. Why would she even have to do all that, though? Why would she think that she had to, to put so many layers of BS on top of just making a play for, for some intercourse? Well, you know, uh, I, I think the reason why she had she tried to do it is because... I have so many, so many, like, I have so many, uh, I have so many defense mechanisms, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, like, you can't sell me vagina, right? So, like, you can't sell me vagina. What means she was trying to sell you chiropractic? Chiropracting after a show. Wow. Was she, like, like quoted you a price or something? Like, she was actively trying to sell it? Yeah, yeah. She this was the best thing I've walked in on. Yeah, she was trying to sell me chiropractic, and this is how much it would cost, and oh, this, wow. this and that. And oh, is he exactly right then? She was. Yeah. Wow. I learned. Yeah. She was trying to be a. Pretend to be a personal chiropractor. At two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But so what? What I learned was. Is that like, uh, you know. There is no, there is like, there is no, uh, like, let's say you have a stage name or you have like, because sometimes I've had in, in between since I've been home from that tour, mm-hmm. I've had random people like, oh, you're famous. And, and like, I've, all, I've grown with my fame in a very local level and kept my circle fucking like, like, it's never I'm well. I'm, I don't think I'm famous, but that's fucked up because I meet people who don't rap on stage and get money for it. I mean, and people. I, I feel like I've had, especially coming from this tour, I've had a few people say the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like the tour itself shows us every day that we're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they don't know that, right? But they don't know right, that, right, right? Because just leaving home for tour. Remember, when you're a kid. You're like, oh, they're on tour right now. Then you just imagine, you're imagining a gold green room. <laughs> a golden green room, you know, with fucking, you know, like, you know, with like, whatever, whatever you like. Oh, you're fucking, you don't drink, so there's fucking golden ice water, and there's golden cabassier, and there's... there, and there. And everybody, and you, every time you go backstage in that city, there's like the rapper of your choice that wants to come back and kick it and talk about the game with you. You know, or, or or not? I'm not sure. This is still the best thing. I mean, but it's to me, it's like fame is when you're recognized casually. Like it was funny, dude. I walked up. We were in Austin. I was walking down Sixth Street, and I happened to walk into um, a conversation between Hannibal mm-hmm. and this one indie rapper dude who I know really well, but I won't name his name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is tight. These dudes know each other. But I, you know, I, I come in, I say, what's up? I start talking and I start realizing, oh, no. 
This was just the indie rap dude fanning out to Hannibal. Mm -hmm. He didn't know him at all. He was like stopping him for an autograph. Mm -hmm. And then sitting there, being in that conversation, four or five people walking by stop Hannibal for mm -hmm. autograph. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's and, fame. Yeah, that's fame to me. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And like we can kind of walk around 6th Street and, and maybe see somebody that we know who's probably a rapper. Yeah. But like fandom. On yeah. that level, exposure on that level to yeah. be his fame, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then, like, that's why tour, like, yeah, New York was great, but Boise, Idaho was kind of embarrassing, <laughs> you know what you I mean? Do you think Hannibal Burris and Boise, Idaho would get the same reaction? Yes. Okay. Because I think there's a difference in medium. I think he's he's on television a bunch mm -hmm. of different oh, ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that platform mm -hmm. just makes you super visible, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Whereas ours is like there's 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 not too much radio we're on you know you have to kind of seek us out. But either way, I mean? so any either what what I was trying to say is that is that people do well if if you're if you're on like some charlatan fucking town to town shit, mm -hmm. you're gonna meet the worst women in the world. That's true, especially if you're playing a city on a Monday night. <laughs> This is like let's just keep let's let's just paint the whole picture. Okay. I'm ready. So you already said we're not famous, right? Right. So there's four rappers playing at a warehouse warehouse party. Yeah, a little weird art space. But it's not really an art space, it's a storage space. <laughs> <laughs> and they turn a storage space into an art space. The funniest thing was the green room though, and how it was just a curtain. It was a curtain. <laughs> that was yeah. the funniest thing. Oh my god. But really, there weren't I, I applaud these women. Like, those are the people that we almost, we were, like, I used to look at the weekly and be like, what's going, what's cracking? Man? Who is this guy named MF Doom? <laughs> I'm going to go to this show now and see what's going on. Like, you know? And that was where I chose to end our conversation. Our conversation didn't necessarily end there. It got weird. I think maybe, um... No can do even forgot at some point that we were recording. So, um, conversation got a bit off the rails. Uh, the situation got a bit off the rails. You might have heard a third person laughing there. That was, um, our good friend Rob, who actually runs the day-to-day uh, -day operations of the label Hellfire Club, which is a collective that we were touring as. Uh, like I said, me and no can do we're having that conversation on the way to a meeting in the car and other people were there already so when they saw us talking in the car uh rob just uh got in <laughs> and sat there and started laughing along um not realizing that i was taping for posterity so I'm learning something here i have this nifty field recorder and, and and i do think it's a really cool idea to uh capture conversations outside of a studio space which is cool but um i'm two for two so far on odd things happening audio wise because i'm not in the studio session um so maybe it's not such a good idea after all i think i'll maybe try one more time or maybe try to see if i can um even if i'm doing something out in the world try to do it somewhere a little bit quieter a little bit more of a controlled environment type situation but that's for next time for now, I bid you uh, a temporary farewell with another song out of the vault. Um, this song is one that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago, just when I was 
in some strange writing moment. And um, there's songs I sit with for a long time or songs that I end up putting with a collection of songs that end up on an album. And um, it'll be hard for me to part ways with them. Like, oh, I've become so emotionally invested in the song and the sequence and it's part of the sentence of an album. Um, and there's some songs like this song where the very next morning I was listening to this song in the car and I was like, this song is ridiculous. This is absurd. And, and that happens. I'm not, I'm not upset with it. I actually like to listen to this song, but it's absurd. And I can't imagine ever really putting it out because I don't know what I'd put it with. It's called Let's Have Breakfast. It's produced by um, a man named Caleb Stone. He produced a lot of, uh, or he produced, I think, three or four songs on No Can Do's most recent album, which is called Jimmy the Burnout, which you should go get right now if you do not already own it. And if you don't already own it, I don't even know how we're friends. No idea how we're even acquainted if you don't have Jimmy the Burnout. But Caleb Stone did a couple of really awesome songs on that, and he did the beat to this thing. He actually asked me why I didn't put it out. He asked me a couple of months ago. I don't even remember what I told him, but I didn't tell him the truth. Because the truth is that it's absurd. The song itself is absurd. But I didn't tell him that. I don't remember what I told him. So maybe I didn't even tell him something satisfactory. I don't remember. I do know I was drinking that day. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Goodbye all. I'm Mike Eagle. This is the Mike Eagle Secret Radio Hour. And this is Let's Have Breakfast. What did I do this time? Did I leave you in the club again? Stuck looking for a husband with the homies drunk, junk, rummaging. I apologize and I hypothesize on the day that my damned helicopter dies. I might send you on a mission for some waffle fries. I'm trying not to lie, so ain't you proud of me? Imagine how good everything's about to be. Like 2003, no recession, dear. As good as yesteryear, let's have breakfast. I've made progress, I'm only half sexist. More rap next. Has been replaced with medallions, so let's carry on at the pace of a stallion. Your face should be smiling. I'll take underserved groups for a thousand. I'll make undershirts with you on the pouches. Your boobs won't fall out this time, I promise. It won't be tie-dye to shrink five sizes. You won't catch the pink eye virus. I swear, no conjunctivitis. I know you don't like it. No motorboats, Facebook posts, or drunk driving. And I'll be much more like them. I'll do anything, show the ruling for the violence. That would be the icing on the cake called ass. I've lost between all teeth and take all baths. It takes all paths. Goddamn a face palm, but don't get a breakfast. I feel no pain. Caterpillar worker with a steel toe frame. Boot to the ankle, but I need no crane. This isn't the end of the tour, I'm sure. The road makes you sick, but I know a cold pure. And over so pure, I'm learning how to roll the scope so I can add a lure to the face. FaceTime phone calls all in real time Making margaritas, chopping all their limes In a cosmic sweat the pleasure's all mine The pleasure's all mine, the pleasure's all mine Secret Skin Also known as the Secret Radio Hour Is part of the Infinite Guest Network From American Public Media